Well, the intro to the show here that does our little countdown had something that the game didn't have tonight, and that was uh, cheering fans. The Bell Centre was pretty silent from the outset tonight after the Canadians allowed a goal real early and just never really found their way back into the game. They seemed to make it close after scoring their first, which, uh, let's face it, wasn't a real goal. But let's talk about it with Laurie Bennett. How's it going, Laurie? Going okay. At least there were a few goals to look at tonight. A little less uh, painful than the last couple of games. Yeah, yeah. They <laughs> they scored a goal <laughs> with Carey Price and Net. <laughs> First time since game four of the Stanley Cup Finals. So wow. they did that, but not much else. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty rough. Pretty rough. Yeah. Uh, I, at one point, I was thinking, I've played road hockey with better defense than this. It's, it was pretty yeah. rough at times. Yeah, and that's something... Teams. Yeah, for both teams, for sure. Yeah. And let's face it, the Flyers are an absolute mess. Like, uh, <laughs> I'm sure you saw Connor Sheary's goal against them last week. Yeah, they're, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. However, tonight, the Flyers on defense, despite the fact that, like, systemically they're terrible, they were committed. The Canadians were not. I noticed all throughout the game that the Canadians did not have sticks in lanes. They did not get sticks on pucks and the flyers were constantly in the Canadians shooting lanes, getting sticks in front of shots in front of passes. They were breaking plays up. The Canadians just weren't really doing that. There were a few players I think who had really great games tonight, but as a team, no. Nah. <laughs> yeah, it was it's I think it's been kind of rough now for a few games to be honest. They in in Carey's second game, I guess it was. They really wanted to win that game for him, I think. Um but uh and, and they they were strong except for a couple of big you know, a, a couple of big foibles that kind of ended it, but uh the defense end of it has been a bit rough for some time as isn't exactly shocking. No, uh, yeah. Considering what's back there right now, yeah. And and that's like the the thing that we have to keep being cognizant of because as much as like I'll be honest, like watching this team right now for me, where I have a show that I'm hosting that I want people to tune into, and I can see that the way that the Canadians are playing and the lack of punch that they have right now, people don't want to. I get like really annoyed <laughs> with how bad they are, but we have to keep on remembering that. They sold at the deadline, sold important players at the deadline. They're still missing players with injury. This is not a good team in the first place, right? Like Mark Bargevin yeah. built a bad team. They're yeah. not in a position to compete. Not really. They're, and they're not going to be for some time unless there's practical magic worked sometime between now and, and training camp. But they're, um, I mean, the D has been rough for, a good, you know, a good few years, really, uh, they, you know, poorly built, I would say. Uh, yeah. But, a, you know, a couple of guys hid that a bit. Uh, I thought that Jeff Petrie had his strongest game in some time tonight. Yes. hundred percent. Wasn't able to, uh, I mean, there were, there were probably three or four times when he could have, he could have scored. Uh, 
but or or set up someone beautifully to score. Um, but you know that's that's not really been consistent for him this season. Uh, and he's he's he was the shining light in that D group for so long. So you take take that throw out, you know, take away Kulak, take away Charot. You know, it's not it's not a strong group back there. So it's 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 realistic that there's going to be some rough nights like this. Um, but you know, I, I think there are other question marks to be added that that need to go after the defense group in Montreal right now. And I think that's that's an off season discussion. For sure. Yeah, it 100% is. And I think that's kind of the focus that I have for tonight, right? Like, there's things to talk about about the game, like uh, Mike Hoffman busting his goal drought. That was, like, nice to see, even though it was very clearly not a legal goal. And yeah. the fact that the refs told Mike Yao that it wasn't a reviewable play and it 100% is a reviewable play. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what like, what pos- what possesses Gallagher to go swiping that puck back like that? I mean, it, it I, had to be just pure impulse, just just yeah, desperation. Just yeah, yeah, desperation. And <laughs> I guess his stick must have been tied up. Hey, eh? like had to have been in the scrum. Yeah, probably. He, um, I mean, everyone's tied up there. It was a bit of a mess there, but he just sort of, I guess, instinctively just brushed it back. Yeah, um, and maybe he was thinking it goes off of a flyer stick or something, and then it could be a legal play. I don't know. But, I mean, frankly, he got away with it, so he's credited with an assist this. for an illegal play. <laughs> so good on yeah. Brendan Gallagher. Sometimes he gets away with one, and that was yeah, one he, time. Uh, he, he needs the points, so we'll take it. Yeah, absolutely. And, obviously, uh, Cole Caulfield getting one at the end there. Nice to see because I believe that was his longest goal drought under St. Louis. He went five games without a goal. So he's at 19 now, ever closer to that 20 goal mark after one in the first 30 games. Wild second half of the season for Cole Caulfield still looks. I thought he looked really dangerous all night. And what stuck out to me for Caulfield wasn't even necessarily that he was like offensively dangerous, though he was he always is like i think he's, yeah. he was great the last game too he's just been a little snake bitten i loved him defensively tonight yeah it, and that's that's a piece that's going to be big for caulfield right is 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 what he's doing when he's not scoring i mean you you don't want i, I think one of the errors that, that the habs have made for years is obsessing about the 200 foot player you know to the point where i think some offense has been you know kind of shut down a little bit as a result of that but you can't be solely, you know, you, you don't want Caulfield growing into Mike Hoffman, Hoff, no. right? You, you know, you want him to have some defensive conscience. You know, in a perfect world, there's a, a third player on that line at some point who becomes, who, you know, who's a stronger defensive player uh, and, and can still, can still worth, run with those two. Um, and, you know, that frees everybody up a little bit, but uh but yeah, I, I I think it'll be good to see him mature, you know, in in all areas of the ice for sure. Well, and I think also the way that he's been playing defense has been like aggressively challenging yeah. puck carriers, right? And that's going to translate to more offense. Like that's the kind of defense sure. that I want him to play. Which you know, I'm sure you had some things to say. I, I know that many of us did about uh, Caulfield Caulfield being called out recently on broadcasts. Uh, First by Craig Simpson saying like he needs to start shooting for rebounds instead of trying to pick corners. And then Jamal Mayers on Sportsnet, I believe last week, 
called him out for flying the zone on a play that ended up being a goal like 40 seconds later, which, okay, sure, Jamal, but he's not Jamal Mayers. He's Cole Caulfield. I feel like a lot of those plays that he's getting criticized for right now are actually the plays that we want him to be making to be the best player that he is. For both sure. The, you, both you the don't, mistakes you don't and the, the good parts. Yeah, there's, I mean, I think it was Aaron Ward calling him out on uh, 690 a while ago for, you know, a, a weak defensive game. And he's, he's had a few games where he's, you know, not exactly been busting his ass back there. But, uh, you know, it, it's one thing to, to say that this is an area of his game that's still developing. Um, but, you know, it, that's not where you want Caulfield obsessing. You want him to be playing defense while thinking offense. Like that's, that's, that's where you want him. And, you know, strengthen the line by giving them a third, a third guy who's strong at 200 feet, maybe a Lekkonen type player. <laughs> I've been saying that too. I'm, I'm reading the tea leaves here, Lori, and I'm sensing that you don't think Josh Anderson's the answer. I do not think Josh Anderson is the answer. I like Anderson a lot, but I, I, I honestly don't think he's a top line player really. And I think the other two can be top line players, uh, but they need a fit. Like they need a third body. And I, and, and I, I don't for these two, I like a lot of guys have been saying that, you know, maybe it'll be a rotation of players and that, you know, lots of teams go with, with pairs who let anyone rotate in with them. And I think that's true. A lot of teams have had those, you know, those famous pairs that anybody can play on the, on the, on the other side and it works out. And I think they could be that, but in my perfect world, I don't want them to be that. I want there to be a strong presence on that line with them that is able to keep up. Not, not someone who's, you know, just only covering the D zone for them, but who's able to keep up, but is, is also stronger uh, in their own end. And so who knows who that's going to be, but. Yeah. It, it, I think that's one of those things where, like you mentioned, an ideal world, right? So it might not be yeah. the top priority right at the moment yeah. because they've got to build a second line and they've <laughs> got to build a third line. Yeah. I feel like they can build a great fourth line with the guys that they have. They've, they could have, they could have, you know, they could, they could, they could have a fourth line that rotates in, you know, every three games, they only play every third game and still have a full fourth line. True. That's hundred um. <laughs> percent true. Unfortunately, it's a very expensive group of fourth liners, but that is, that's what, what they're at right now. I, I think yeah. that with your when you're looking at guys to play beside Caulfield and Suzuki, Lekkonen is the easy one to come up with because we saw him play here all season. But it, it's really that prototype of player of who's somewhat defensively responsible and can get the puck off the wall. So you want somebody who can be like your F1 on a four check, yeah. win battles, get the puck to the middle, like just partake in the cycle and yeah what i see with anderson is just he doesn't win those battles that often he gets engaged in the battle he has the speed to put pressure on a puck carrier so he's a decent f1 in terms of applying puck pressure but he's not winning those pucks and on the cycle he's just not good enough of a passer and his hockey yeah. sense isn't quite there to compete or not to compete with sorry to play with caulfield and suzuki who make very quick decisions and often too quick for Anderson to keep. Yeah, I would rather see a guy in that role who is just a really smart player and and can and think with the other two, and and fill in the spaces. I mean, ideally, it's a you know, it's it's a perfect finish for, on that line. But I wonder, I wonder if 
Gordon Hughes are thinking about a guy like Heineman, if they see him in his in his future, if he's a guy who they think can can go there, because like you said, I don't think that it has to be the typical top line player that's there. Uh, they, as you said, they need to fill out the second line first, but uh, but you know maybe maybe there's a guy that's in the system or or you know can be had without breaking the bank that serves the purpose for that line. But I, I feel like. I feel like he's not there yet. Whoever that guy is, is not there yet. I wouldn't mind seeing uh, Ryan Paling get a look there uh, just because I feel bad for Ryan Paling. <laughs> but <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing what he can do on the wing and, and see if he's able to, you know, he's been trying to go to the net more lately, trying to do that, you know, uh, you know, bo- using his body more a bit. Uh, but, you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him there. But beyond that, would have liked to see Elonen maybe get a look. Yes, but I would perfect, also like that. Yeah. But the perfect guy, I'm not sure he's there yet. Yeah. We'll see. I agree. I don't know if the perfect player is in the organization. And, you know, if they were, we'd probably see them get, getting a shot. I yeah. mean, obviously, uh, we'd like to see Elonen have a chance to, to earn that spot. I mean, I think if this team had bit more depth we might see them try Gallagher on that spot now it would be a small line but Gallagher's yeah. fight in the corners at the, at the net front his ability to make short passes it would probably fit but if you move Gallagher onto that line you don't have another line. <laughs> you know like yeah and he, I know he hasn't been scoring lately and there's lots of people who are very doubtful about what Gallagher can do next year and I, I think what he's been speaking about lately I know he only mentioned it once about how short the summers have been for him and being unable to get his body to where it needs to be to stay healthy. I think that's important. And I've been encouraged by his play since he's returned from this latest injury. Cause he's been really, really good. The puck is the last few games. He's, he's, yeah. he's been much better the last few games. He, he still looks slow to me. Yeah. Uh, and slow is not really the right word. He looks like he's laboring to me a bit. Like yeah. it looks like it looks like it's not coming easy to him in the way that it would uh, previously. Uh, but uh, you know, maybe maybe an off season does that. I really hope an off season does that because I don't think right now. I don't know that you know moving him this summer would be would be the epitome of selling low, right? It would it wouldn't be. I don't think that that's what's happening for Gallagher. Yeah, I don't think so. So, um, you know, he really needs this off season and to, to find a way to be well for next time around, but hopefully, uh, minimally bring up his value and, and hopefully be useful. Um, uh, so, but he, he's maybe a, p- a possibility for that line, but there's still, yeah, it feels, it feels like, it feels like the guy is not the perfect guy is not there. Yeah. We'll yeah, see hundred percent. And I yeah. feel like the thing is, if you move Gallagher onto that line, you go from needing two thirds of a second line to needing an entire second line, because I think sure. that Dvorak is the third line center going forward. And like, frankly, a lot of what they're going to do this summer is going to hinge on what draft pick they get, right? 100%. If they're able to take Shane Wright first overall going into next year, they're probably not going to be too worried about having to find somebody to fit with Suzuki and Caulfield because then their second line is already half built, you know, or maybe Shane Wright before long becomes the first, first line center. And then Suzuki Suzuki as a second line center sounds pretty darn good. 
right? Like it does. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty nice. I mean, it's it's probably a few years away, even if right reaches potential. But yeah, I I, I, have, I agree 100. What what happens this summer is going to be 100 dependent on how May 10th goes down. And, uh, and, and I guess theoretically, I mean, even if, if they didn't win the lottery, um, who knows, maybe, maybe right. Isn't taken first. I don't think that makes any sense, but who knows? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, would they, would they look at Cooley? I don't know. Uh, yeah. you know, that's, that's is Cooley as close to ready. Probably not. So that shifts things a little bit, but if I think that even if they saw the potential for, having a center available in the next two years that came from the draft, that they wouldn't be freaking out to fill that role with someone else in the short term. I think no. they'd be content to roll with the guys they've got. And un- unless there's some guy they can get on the cheap who, who's, who comes in as a veteran and helps. Uh, but I, I wouldn't see them going, you know, chasing any big center uh, if, if they're able to draft them, that they think can be ready even in a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I, I think if anything, they might sign somebody as like a holdover player just yeah. to like keep the team respectful, right? They clearly yeah. don't want to have a repeat of this season. And I mean, frankly, neither do I. <laughs> like, I don't mind covering another season where they're not good because, but it's I, not, not this it's not bad. the kind of season you play in a loop. No, <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Especially when your livelihood moderately depends on people wanting to watch the games. But yeah, yeah it's kind there's of rough. a. There's a comment on the stream chat. The, the perfect guy for Caulfield and Suzuki is already in the organization. It's Alex Burroughs. You know what? <laughs> Alex Burroughs in his prime would be great. Yeah. Well, yeah, he, he's used to that role, right? He knew what his job was on that line with with the Sedins. And yeah, that that makes some sense. Uh, father time, right? Uh, <laughs> to, uh, yeah, someone of that ilk would be perfect. Yeah, uh, some comments saying a repeat of this year could give us Bedard. You know, that's true, 100%. But here's the other thing. Finishing last is only 5% better than finishing second last. And the Arizona Coyotes are going to be this bad next year. The Montreal Canadiens are definitely not. They're not going to lose 700-plus man games to injury. No team has ever done that before. So it's just not going to happen. And... Harry Price will likely play more, you know, whether he'll play a majority of the season. We don't know that, you know, with how much time he's missed, I wouldn't be surprised to see Jake Allen actually play more games than Carey Price next year. Yeah, it wouldn't be surprising. But, you know, that's a good segue. Let's go in to talk about Carey Price, because obviously not a great game from Carey tonight. Uh, I thought that he was absolutely brilliant against the Minnesota Wild. He was he was fine in his first game against the Islanders. Yeah. Tonight was more of what I expected, frankly. Uh, timing a little bit off, timing a little bit off. Yeah, I don't think and any of the goals it. that he gave up were like softies per se. There were stoppable no. shots for sure. There was there was a couple of really nice shots. There's no doubt about that. But really nice shots that prime carry would have probably stopped. Um, and a couple of, I mean, there were a couple of times where you could see his own frustration where he knew he had lost the puck. He knew it wasn't tracking well or whatever, knew he was a bit out of position, um, you know, and, and, you know, as per usual, the defense wasn't exactly, you know, clogging it up there for him. So it wasn't his best showing tonight for sure. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, I wonder, you know, after every game, I'm wondering how Kerry's feeling. Right? Yeah. I, wonder, I wonder how the knee is now. I uh, wonder how he's going to be tomorrow. Uh, and I, I think that's the bigger question. I think the bigger, like what's more important for Kerry right now is not what's happening in 60 minutes. It's what's happening the next morning. Yeah. And, you know, like the 60, like the stuff that's happening in 60 minutes, unless it's happening because he's in pain, it's kind of irrelevant. Harry Price yeah. will get his timing back. He will get his tracking back. He will, you know, you can see, you can see in him in the games we've seen the evidence of who he is. But, you know, unless he's in pain during those games, unless he's being inhibited, you know, it, it will be fine. But it's it's what's happening between games, you know, how much swelling is there, how much tightness, how much pain, uh, what's, you know, what's required for him to feel good after a game. Who knows? Maybe he's feeling great. Uh, but I think that's, that's the bigger thing. And we won't really know until, until we know. Well, and the other thing is how exhausted is he, right? Cause yeah. he's not played for so long. He's mentioned conditioning a few times. Yeah. And the other thing that uh, I wanted to talk about regarding Carey price is the idea of the world championships, because this is something mm. that's been asked now. And price has kind of hinted that there's, maybe a possibility of doing it even though the optics might not be optimal to some people some fans might not like it i'm starting to wonder like at first when i first heard about it i was not thinking it would be a very good idea but now that i think about it more and i've talked to a couple people about it i think it makes sense for Carey Price to at least go over and get some reps in the world championships because yeah it's a it's high level competition but it's not a super high stress tournament right it's not like the olympics not and, too visible yeah, yeah not and it's you're playing on a decent team cuz it's going to be team canada you're going to be relatively insulated i think he needs to play like he's had so much time off that yeah. immediately getting a couple of games and then sitting for three plus months. I don't know if that is actually it doesn't make helpful. Sense. Yeah. Like I understand yeah. why people would have trepidations about it Yeah, because you never want to see him miss so much time with his club team and then go over and get hurt, not getting paid. Right. But I think yeah, it makes I mean, sense. I, I, I have mixed mixed thoughts about that, mixed feelings about it. I mean, in terms of him getting injured again, Kerry is probably one bad injury away from the end of his career at this point. Probably not even a Chris Kreider kind of injury. Probably more like a stepped on a puck in practice kind of injury yep. away from uh, away from his career being done. So, yeah, I mean, there there's that worry. But if you know that could happen in the first game of the season too. It could, you know, could happen the last game before the playoffs after, uh, or, you know, after the trade deadline, you know, that sort of thing can happen anytime. You can't really bubble wrap him. Uh, like I, like I've, I've had that thought all along around, you know, him needing to come back and play these games. And yes, there's that whole element of this is his, you know, he's competitive. It's his identity. He wants to know how it feels. Doesn't want to go into an off season without knowing what it would be you know, what kind of pain he has from it. But, you know, the reality is what, even if he plays every game now until the season's done, which he could theoretically do, there's, there's, you know, enough space there now that he could. Um, 
you know, does that, is that really a good sample size for a season? No, not really. Like that doesn't really give you much wear and tear to have to contend with, even though we know, as you said, he's probably going to get a fair amount of relief next season. Um, it, it, it struck me when he was interviewed that he said it was something he always wanted to do. Um, and which was kind of surprising considering it isn't a big tournament. It's not, you know, a really public, like it's public, I guess, but it's not really loud in terms of getting a lot of interest. Uh, but it's, you know, something that he's always wanted to do for me, it's kind of like at this stage of his career, if it's something he wants to do, do it, do it, see what happens. Like, see if he sustains it see you know see if he looks good see what happens see how he feels afterwards um it might be part of his decision making in all honesty Uh, and i think the other thing that i'm thinking about as well is from carrie's perspective if he's committed to staying with the montreal canadians through this rebuild which we don't know if he wants to but it, it makes sense that he would considering how entrenched he is in the community here how long his family has lived here it would be weird to just tear everything up now even though he may want to compete the world championships are definitely something that fans are not as heavily into but just it just seems like the players do care about it a significant amount yeah and having a chance to compete for something right now when the canadians outlook for in terms of like their window to compete in Carey Price's career might be relatively tiny if there at all. Yeah. I see it from his perspective. <laughs> Let him. My, my take is you know, he's earned the right to, to if, if this is something he wants to do, if team Canada wants him, let him do it. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be caught up in the possibility of an injury. If it's that tenuous, then it was always kind of iffy. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, and uh, like I said, it might be what makes, helps him decide I can, I can, I'm ready to come back and do this for another year or I'm not, I'm, you know, my career, my career has been ended by injury and I'm not able to do it. And if that's, if it helps him make that decision, then best to have that decision made in the off season, frankly. Yes. hundred um, percent. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would give the Canadians more time to adjust. Yep. You know, instead sure. of having to roll into next season and something happened in preseason. And, you know, speaking of things being tenuous, it might be his last chance to compete for something. Right. Right. So, yeah, it, I think there's a lot of reason for Carey Price to want to go. And, yeah, I, I think the playing time would help him a lot going into next season. I think, uh, you know, getting the confidence in himself and in his is in his knee is important. And I think we should all remember, it's not just his knee that was hurting last offseason, right? Like, he's had lots of time to recuperate, but he had hip problems. He's had a history of groin injuries. Bryce has had some rough times in his career, especially that lower body. He also finished last season with concussion. I believe it was his second or third concussion. So there's a a laundry list of things that Carey Price has dealt with in his career. Not, you know, not to mention... Addictions and mental health, the most yes. recent of his concerns, right? And and so, you know, it's this has been a year for Carrie Price. And uh, you know, if there is if there is some therapeutic benefit for him in whatever way, shape, or form, for him to get a chance to compete. For me, it, it, you know, in the beginning I thought, why would Carrie Price go? Um, 
why would he even be interested? But, you know, when he said it's something that's always appealed to him, I thought, why not? Why go for it? What's at the, like the Habs aren't winning any cups next year. They're probably not winning any cups anytime during Carey's con- contract. Um, it's, it's not something that needs to be tidied up and in a bow. Yeah. Right. You know, immediately let him, let him do it. Let it see what happens. Yeah. See 100%. what it gives birth to. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a few people who are a little bit worried about Carey after this game, but, uh, th- this game doesn't really worry me in terms of, uh, Carey Price's performance. Uh, like Lori said, no. it's not what really happens in the games right now. It's a big deal. If Price looked seriously off on like his slide side to side and recovering and really labored in his movements, I think it'd be more, more concerning. But we'll yeah. see if he plays again this weekend, which he is pretty much guaranteed to do with the back to back and looks fine. He's fine. You know, we continue to evaluate day to day on what Price's recovery looks like. Yeah. <laughs> comment in the stream chat says Bryce has been quote unquote recovering from injuries every off season since Chris Kreider. Here's the thing though, as much That's as it's, it's easy to blame things on Chris Kreider, Bryce finished almost every season injured from like, I think it was 2012 on That's two years before Kreider. Cause 2012, he missed the last game of the season, I believe. Uh, or last few games of the season. I think that was a concussion that year. Uh, 2013, he blew out his groin against the Ottawa Senators in the playoffs. I think actually he was injured before that during the regular season and played most of the season injured. And then it just got blown completely in the first game. 2014 was Kreider. Was it? No, wait, was 2015 Kreider? 14 15, I guess. 14 yeah. 15. So 2014, 2014. Who limited them in 2014? Now I'm like blanking on it. That Maybe was it was 1314. Was... It was 1314. Maybe. It all blends together after a while. <laughs> We're talking about stuff that was eight years ago, but I know that it was like a long stretch where he ended literally every season injured. Yeah. Part of the issue there was how many games he was playing, right? And that comes down to Kerry yeah. himself wanting to always be out there. And the fact that the coach at the time was very bad. And he needed Price to put up a 935 in order to win games. You know, so yeah. playing 60 games a season is not a recipe for longevity. Yeah. Uh, 2014 was Kreider. Yeah. 2015 was Tampa Bay, was the, the year that he was Tampa Bay. I think that's the only one that he didn't end injured stretch against Tampa. But I rest my case. Um, moving on, I'm going to send Lori a couple images here because there's something I wanted to talk about concerning the Canadians' rebuild which is uh, some of the things that they're going to have to work on, essentially. And let's see here on, can I send it on Zoom? I'll, I'll send it to your Twitter, uh, Laurie, and sure. you can tell me what you think. I'm going to put the images up on the stream chat, but uh, obviously Laurie can't see the YouTube right now. So it was posted by a friend of the show, Jay Fresh. Oh, yeah. And uh, he was talking about slot line passes, essentially. Uh, High danger passes for and against. So the Canadians conspicuously are very bad, both for and against. So uh, in terms of the amount of shot assists, which is shots resulting from a slot pass or a pass to the slot through the slot, Canadians are dead last in those per 60 minutes with one point. Eight, I believe. One point nine. One point nine. 
Yeah. And that's that tracks. They are not a team that's very good at playmaking. And when it comes to allowing slot line passes, they are third last <laughs> ahead of only the Senators and the Coyotes, which also tracks. And I'm sure Sam Montembeau would the fir- be the first person to raise his hand oh, and say, yes, <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. This Poor is one Sam. of those areas where like in the in the four category, I think they really do miss Jonathan Jerem. But in the against category, maybe they they don't. But uh, <laughs> overall, this has been an issue for the Montreal Canadiens for a long stretch of time now, where they've really struggled to have great playmaking on their team. Now, I think part of this comes down to the players that Mark Bergevin values, right? And, or valued to bring to the team. Because... Yeah. To put it mildly, I don't think hockey sense and that kind of skill was a high priority for the organization, which is why the roster is full of UL Armias. And I think whenever you're chasing goal scoring and you're adding guys who can shoot, but you don't have the guys to get them the puck, it's never going to work. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's a weakness. Like, you know, I was, uh, I, I think we talked about this when they added Dvorak, right? And he's been looking good. He's, he, you know, he's, he's been playing so much better since uh, he came back from injury. And, well, looking more like we expected him to look. But anyone who watched Dvorak for years knew that his bread and butter was in front of the net. He'd, you know, he'd clean up the mess in front of the net. He could make nice, quick passes in front of the net. But he's not a puck carrier. Yeah, and so so when they gave Dvorak Druin to start the season, I thought, good call. That's a nice little combination to go together there. Druin can you know be the puck carrier, and uh, Dvorak can do some dirty stuff that Druin's not all that attracted to, and you know it, it could be a happy marriage. Uh, but then you know Druin is injured, or Druin is uh, you know moved to another line or whatever, and who else goes there? Um, and you're hard pressed to find you know when when you've got uh, Hoffman, you know, who's, who's one of your stronger puck carriers and he's not bad. Like he's, he's really not awful, uh, compared to some of the other guys, but he's, but that's not his, that's not his gig to be the puck carrier. Yeah. Um, you know, like when, when you're excited about Rem Pedelec being the guy who can carry the puck, those guys are great as, uh, complimentary options, but it's, it's been a weakness in Montreal for years. And I, you know, I think you can directly connect it to the weakness at center for years. Um, that there's just not a, not been strong playmaking centers in Montreal for a long time. No, there haven't, and that's it's just a major issue. And you know, a lot of that would be solved pretty quickly by adding a guy like Shane Wright. But yeah, even Shane Wright, I think his bread and butter, to steal your phrase, Laurie is not necessarily making those high-end plays, right? He He's a guy who's going to get you... He's going to get you points. He's going to uh, drive play. But his, his skill is more about work ethic and doing the little things yeah. as opposed to being a game-breaking talent. And that's not a knock on him. It's just a description of how yeah. he makes his impact on the game, right? Like Brennan Gallagher, this year is a total write-off. 
But over the previous three years, the only player who scored even strength goals at a higher rate than Brendan Gallagher is Austin Matthews. Like absolutely ridiculous how good he was at scoring yeah. at even strength. But is Brendan Gallagher a game breaker? We don't describe him that way because the way that he creates offense is like that gritty style. He's a hard worker, yeah. goes to the front of the net. He's not a guy that necessarily breaks uh, defensive systems with a high skill play. Right. And you right. need both. And for the longest times, for the longest time, the Canadians only chased one. Yeah, it's, and I don't know where that's coming from, really. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of who's who's in the system that might bring some of that skill set. Um, there's there's a lot of work to do. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's that's where they are. There's a lot. There's you know, there's a lot of holes to fill. I mean, we we simplify it by saying they don't have a one D. They don't. They need at least another top six center. They need a goal scorer. You know, you you simplify those things, but it's you know, it's it's what we've talked about so many times. The bigger vision of of is there enough playmaking on this team? Is there enough finish on this team? Is there enough uh, you know solid movement from the back end? And I think we know the answer to that question for sure. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there's so many holes to fill. And, and while there's talent in the system, I don't know if any of it is really high, high enough quality to really fill those holes that are there. Um, that remains to be seen. I mean, everyone, we, we all love Jordan Harris. I don't know if he's going, like, he's been so pumped pumped up by fans that i i think some fans might be a little bit disappointed at his ceiling i don't think that this is going to be the solution in montreal i think he will be a solid defender for montreal that looks different than what we're used to having uh, but there's we're still lacking a 1d i don't think Goulet is that that guy either and i don't think uh you know anyone else that's i don't think baron's that guy i think they're still lacking a true 1d who's gonna fill all those roles. Um, and you know, there's, there's some holes for sure. And puck distribution hasn't really been prioritized. Puck movement in general has not been prioritized front yeah. or back. Right. Yeah. That's, that's no the, kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Spe like speaking of the defense, you're hundred percent, right. The moves that they've made there. And I think that in some respects, they've gotten kind of lucky in Caden Gooley's development because they tried to pick the same guy that they've been signing. Right? Yeah. And I think that at Caden Gooley's height, he's going to be considerably better than Sherratt, Edmondson, yeah. Savard ever were. I, I think yeah. that uh, he's, he's got the potential to be a top pairing defenseman, but I don't think he's going to be a number one. I agree with you there. I think he lacks the puck skills to be truly yeah. uh, influential in that way. They still need that guy. Um, I don't know why the chat is talking about Patrice Bergeron. Oh, somebody asks, is Patrice Bergeron a game breaker? In the way that we're talking about, no. But Patrice Bergeron is a game changer in the fact that he's the most dominant two-way player of the last 20 years, maybe more. He like The way I would describe Bergeron to somebody who only watched hockey in like my childhood would be he's got the defensive ability of Guy Carboneau with the scoring of Vincent Danfus. Yeah. And, and he's got a pretty special thing going with another guy there. Right. Yeah. Who, like Marshawn is the game breaker, right? 
I was going to say who we mightn't like to say so, but he's a game breaker. Marshawn is, you know, he's the game breaker and, and the two of them together have been like, those are two guys that you could put my grandmother on their, on their wing and she'd probably pull it off with them. Right. You could finish that line with whoever you like, and they're probably still going to be, have a certain level of effectiveness. Um, but are, are folks asking about Bergeron because they think he's going to be available in the summer, maybe? No, I think they're just ta- asking about, like, they're trying to get clarity on what I was talking about uh, with Game Breaker, right? right? And yeah. that's that's fair. I feel like what I'm I'm not trying to say that uh, Game Breakers are the only kinds of good players. Important right? I players, think that yeah. Everyone is understanding me at this point because yeah. everyone who knows me knows I'm a huge Brennan Gallagher supporter in terms yeah. of how good he is and how impactful he is in the game. It's just, to me, when I'm talking about game-breaking, I'm talking about somebody who makes something out of nothing consistently. Shows up and, yeah, yeah, nothing's happening, and he turns something, makes something happen, so the tone of the game changes, for sure. Yeah. Now now everyone's upset that we're uh, complimenting Brad Marchand, but listen, <laughs> if Brad Marchand wasn't a good player, we wouldn't have to talk about him because he wouldn't, we wouldn't be, care. Yeah. Nobody would care about him. Right. It's the fact yeah. that he is such a good player that makes his antics so annoying. He can be an arse and still, <laughs> and still ring up the points. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if he He'll, was, if he was our arse, we'd be delighted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Everyone would love him. Uh, it's the same thing with Tim Stutzla, right? Nobody would talk about Tim Stutzla's diving if he wasn't out there scoring on the ensuing power play. Right. Like, that's what makes that guy special. It's what makes Marshawn special. It's uh yeah. Somebody says Bergeron's not flashy, but he makes high skill and high level plays in all three zones. Yeah, I agree. I agree. He's just not like breaking down offensive schemes on his own. Right. That's, that's Marshawn. That's Pasternak. Bergeron is the guy who does all the little things and he'll score for sure. But it's usually yeah. not his play creating the offensive thing, especially now that he's in his uh, mid thirties, but he's still absolutely phenomenal. Uh, but let's stop talking about the Bruins. Cause we don't need to bump them up. <laughs> One thing I was looking at in this game tonight is I'm questioning how deep the rebuild's going to be in Philly because they kind of tried to go all in this year and it failed in incredible like it was, it blew apart as bad as the Canadians did, right? And you know, then they signed Ristolainen in long term, which is highly that's the deal that sort of yeah, yeah. and then I, they've got I Ryan thought they Ellis. were going rebuild. Yeah, I, like I assume that they're not going to go full rebuild this year because they'll they want to see what the team looks like with Ryan Ellis healthy, but Ryan Ellis healthy is not a guarantee because he's talking about a guy who's yeah. been bumped up or uh banged up for years. Ryan Ellis is one of those guys. But I wonder looking at their cap situation and their like trepidation of the future, I if I was Kent Hughes would be calling the Flyers about Travis Konechny. I think he is one hell of a player who has been unbelievably unlucky this year and I really like his game. You think he's available? I have heard that there's a possibility that he will be available. If the Flyers go into a rebuild, because he has that, uh, like the combination of a movable contract, but still a slightly large cap number that you would get some relief from. So 
I would be knocking on knocking on the door, calling the phone. He's got three more years after this one at 5.5 million, 25 years old. I'd be very, very interested. Yeah, I can't. I I imagine there'd be a fair amount of interest that he's available. It's it's hard to know what Philadelphia is intending. You know, judging by what they just did, one would think that a 25 year old wouldn't be available. But um, it's a little bit of a mystery what they're up to there. that's an interesting idea. Yeah. I think the Canadians are going to have to like you hear Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon talk about uh rebuild or retool or reload, whatever word whatever you want to use for it. it. It seems like they're more interested in trying to turn this around quickly than going through a long rebuild. Like say uh, the Red Wings have. Right. Yeah. And I, I look at trades like that as a possibility of, uh, Turning things around quicker because you're going to have to make trades for NHL ready players as well as the 20, 21 year old guys, the Hughes and Gordon have gone after so far. Yeah, I, I think there's going to be trade activity for sure. I don't know what that will look like. I mean, there's, there's so much that we like, as we said, there's so much that will rest on what happens with the, the draft. But I think the other thing is what there's even possibility to move, you know, like, who's, you know, who's, who's even attracting some interest. Uh, they've got a cap issue, right? Yep. <laughs> they've got it. They, there's no choice, but move some contracts. If they want that, they're either going full, full rebuild and just waiting for contracts to die or be moved on in one way, shape or form. And while they, while they tank and pick, uh, they're either going that full route or they're going to have to transition out some other contracts to, to bring some guys in. Um, and yeah, it's uh, some of the, you know, uh, there's, I think there's some contracts that are quite movable and we'll see them move on, but uh, there are other ones, large ones that are going to be more of a challenge. And I don't think they're going to want to be moving too many contracts at a loss or selling really low. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think, I think there will be trades this, this off season for sure. And I, and I don't think they're all going to be about just tearing down. I think they're going to be trying to bring guys in. There was some rumored interest at the deadline in Colin white and in Ottawa. And I like, for me, that felt like that's the classic buying low. That's for sure. Uh, So, you know, maybe that's, there was some thinking there, but it, it just, and there were a couple of other rumors at the deadline that just made me go, okay, these guys are open to just about anything. That, you know, they're they're on uncovering a lot of different stones, and I think we're going to be a little bit shocked by some things that might happen this offseason. That there might be some ideas that surface that we weren't quite anticipating, that weren't exactly predictable. But who knows? Maybe wrong. But Never my know. my hopes, yeah, my hopes are high that they'll they'll at least they'll be they'll be a crew that's not afraid to take some swings. Yeah. I, and I hope that we see, you know, the ideas forming as they build their management group this summer, because I think we're all waiting to see what they're going to do with their development group and uh, rejigging how they draft and their analytics department that they want to build. There's going to be a lot off the ice that's going to happen outside of just player acquisition for sure. or, or player trades. This is going to be a very, very busy summer for the Montreal Canadiens. Four games Honestly, left. I think though. it starts in a week. Yeah, I four think it games starts left. in a week. 
Yeah, I, I think when the I think when the games are done, we're gonna start seeing some other stuff happen. You know, it might be some small things or some less dramatic things from a player uh, perspective, but I think we're gonna start seeing that executive group build out differently and development group build, build out. Uh, you know, so they're gonna have to get through the draft before they can fill out some of their staff in that way, but. Uh, but I, th- I think we're going to see once hockey is done, I think we're going to start to see things move. I, I'm, I'm kind of anticipating a summer where there's an announcement of some sort every week, you know, not some of them will be tiny and seem minuscule, but it, as part of the bigger picture will be, okay, they're still putting together this puzzle and they're still working on what their vision is for this thing. I, I think it's going to be a big summer. Yeah, I think so too. And I think you're going to, I wouldn't be surprised if there's at least one buyout either. I think you want to keep some veterans around like the I, I'm assuming that outside of Jeff Petrie, they're not going to move either of Savard or Edmondson Edmondson because they actually want him to stick around for the remainder of his contract Savard because he's probably unmovable right now, I agree. but those guys can also insulate young players over the next mm-hmm. couple of years as well. So that's like, there is, even if they're not necessarily like, I think Edmondson's actually still quite a good player, but even yeah. if Savard's not necessarily bringing much value on the ice, that you can see him being there and allowing a Justin Barron or a Jordan Harris to play one slot lower and not get annihilated by top lines is helpful. Yep. For sure. I I agree. I I think those are the two guys that are staying. And I think the other veteran in the group is going to be Romanov. Yep. Yep. Although (laughs) my goodness, if we have to see Savard Romanov next year as a pairing, I swear to God, <laughs> I'm so gonna that, throw like, something at my TV. <laughs> that you know that I I don't know if that's by design in some way, shape, or form. If they're you know like they can't possibly think that pairing's a good idea. But if there's someone there who does think you know if this is what Luke Richardson thinks is a good pairing, then we got a bigger problem. And you know I I'm, I'm not exactly I'm not exactly uh, you know subtle on this. I think we do have a bigger problem. I think there I think there needs to be a, a, a be a, an assistant coach juggling it. Montreal and I, I suspect we'll see that but yeah um, I agree yeah the uh, the the special teams have been too bad for too long with uh, and and not just you know the defensive system has been rough except for last year's playoffs and uh, and I'm not entirely sure coaching had much to do with any of that in all honesty um, yeah I feel like the, de- the the defensive system last year in the playoffs was essentially Everyone tries so hard that you get injured and carry price. Stop everything. <laughs> it's like, let's, let's kill ourselves and try to win a cup. Yeah. It was <laughs> just like sheer grit and determination, which frankly, yeah, I, you know, as much as it's not repeatable, it's part of what made that run so fun to watch. Right. Is you can absolutely. see every Those four guys. Yeah. Yeah. They were putting everything on the line. And I think that's why sure. at the end of it, like you could see how emotional it was for all of them and, and I don't want to see Shea Weber cry anymore. I'll tell you that much. That was weird. <laughs> that was yeah, not we comfortable. Can all, we can all we can all do without Shea Weber crying, but uh, it's a little bit like like Bergman crying in pressers. It's like it's just wrong. But <laughs> yeah, it it's a little yeah. uncomfortable at the very least. Uh, let's see. So who's so who's getting who's getting bought out? I I wonder if he's not going to retire due to injury, if. Uh, Paul Byron is a possible buyout because he's got one year left at 3.4 million. Even with salary retained, I'm not sure if that's a movable contract. And it's probably just not that expensive to buy out either. 
I, I feel it's like that's a prime an, example. It's not an awful buyout. It's uh, and, and you know, if he had come back from injury and had a solid finish, which it looked like he might have, um, then maybe, maybe you could, you know, quasi sweeten the pot and move on from him. I don't know if there's a trade for Paul Byron at this point. And I, uh, like, I, I don't know if he wants to move on. Like, I think he knows, I suspect that Byron knows that he's coming to the end of his career. He's, he's, he's beaten up too, right? He's, yep. uh, he's in a rough spot himself. So, um, you know, he's barely back and he's out injured again. It, I, it wouldn't surprise me if it's a buyout. Um, I, I don't, I, I'd be reluctant to buy him out if the pain is very significant, but I don't, I don't think it is. They might also just choose to let him, you know, coast through an LTIR for the, for the, for the, there's only one year left. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that's manageable as well. So, yeah, I know that uh, the Shea Weber contract has everybody talking about uh, what they can do with that. And I think if you have Byron there as well, I don't know if this is true or not, but I, I was reading that teams can only put three players on LTIR at once. So oh, really? someone can confirm that if I'm right. And if I'm wrong, tell me I'm stupid and that's okay too. But uh, if they can only put three players on LTIR and they can't trade Weber's contract in the off season, then keeping an extra guy around comes a little bit dicey, right? Because it does. <laughs> I mean, everyone watching this season see, has seen how bad things can get from injuries out of essentially nowhere. So it becomes a, uh, interesting situation to attempt to navigate but we'll see how it is when we get there um was there anything else that you wanted to hit on Lori, before we close this thing out no i think we've i think we've tackled this one to the ground yeah, a few games couple, left we've got a couple of requests to talk yeah. about uh jeff petrie trade fantasy situations but you know what i don't want to do that off the top of our heads so that might be something that we prep and come back to on another shore, another show, or maybe we do something in the off season and talk about it. But I feel like if we're trying to do it off the top of our heads, we'll have like a couple and then we'll spend here. I'm going like, Hmm, uh, I don't know, <laughs> you know? So let's, let's put, I'll write that down and I'll come sure. back to you Sounds and like maybe fun. we'll get Lori roped in for another one for that. Sounds good. All right. That we uh, can do. Thanks everyone for tuning in on the fifth last game of the season for the Montreal Canadiens. Another terrible loss. They've lost seven in a row. It's not fun. Let's be honest. We have fun, fun on the show, but the the games are not fun right now. Uh, thanks for tuning in. If you're still tuning in at this point, I really do appreciate you. And uh, we'll talk to you again on Saturday, I believe. Yeah, Saturday and then Sunday. We'll see you then. Big weekend. Yep, big weekend. Big important points on the board for the Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> for sure. <laughs>